Hi, this is Stephen Adair, pastor of Grace Christian Fellowship here in Odessa, Texas. And I want to thank you for tuning in today to our podcast. I hope this message encourages you, gives you hope, and reminds you that you are loved. This week, we launch a new series called Choices, and, uh, and it's intended to be a one-sermon, kind of a one-and-done series, but, I mean, we'll see how it goes. And the reason why I say that is because um, choices is, pr- is a pretty big, broad kind of category within church. We can, we can take this a lot of different directions, but um, I intended, whenever I was kind of creating this content, I intended to speak into one specific avenue of choices, and that is obedience. How, how do we obey in the choices that we make? Now, in church, um, whenever we start talking about obedience, most of you kind of feel like, well, I could just sit back and kick my feet up for this one. I was raised in church. I know right from wrong. I know the do's. I know the don'ts. Um, this sermon this morning is not about the rights and the wrongs. It's not about the right decision to make or the wrong decision to make, because I I rest in a place where I feel like the majority, if not all of us, have at least that foundation established. Even if you weren't raised in church, society has basically taught you how to make appropriate choices, what are good choices and bad choices. Now, the judgment in society versus the church is different, but overall, the golden rule applies, right? You treat other people as you yourself would want to be treated. And you kind of just operate from that perspective, and you'll pretty much be good to go in both church and the world. I want to move beyond just the concept of doing the right thing. I want to move into why do the right thing. Because motive is an important aspect to your choices. The reasoning behind the reason you make your decisions is an important thing to think about. Now we can say, yeah, I, I, make, I make my decisions based on the information that I have in the moment, right? If, you know, if, I am, if I'm driving down the road and I'm hungry and there's McDonald's next to Taco Bell, whichever one has the shorter line, I will reluctantly choose it, right? Um, but but we, we can make some choices just based on the information that we have in the moment. But what about choices that we make regarding our spirituality? Now, those are some fun choices to talk about because those are choices that, yes, you can make them with the information you have in the moment, but I would strongly encourage you to make those choices not just with some momentary emotion or feeling, but with some reasoning behind them. Not saying that God needs you to have a reason to do what God is asking you to do. But what I am saying is we as people oftentimes need a reason to do the things that God is asking us to do. But here's the problem that we face. And it's this problem that was best summed up by Isaiah in Isaiah 55. And he says this, that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I love that verse, and at the same time, it's kind of depressing. Because I'm a person who wants to know the reasons that I'm doing something. I'm the kind of person that wants to know what 
the, like the reasoning behind the choices I'm making. I want to know all the information. And then, like I told you last week, I want time to sit on that information for a minute. And I want to process through it. And I want to think about it. Because whenever I make a decision, I'm the kind of person that's going to want to stick with it. I'm not going to make a decision today and then wake up tomorrow and just decide, man, let's try something different. I want to at least give this thing a good run. But that's really difficult when God himself says, you're never really going to understand me. You're never going to be able to rest and know exactly what I'm thinking or the exact direction that I'm taking you. Which leads me to today. Obedience. Is it possible that we as people of God haven't been instructed to do things because there is a reason to do them, but is it possible that we have been instructed to do things simply because God's asked us to? And in our culture, that's a really difficult thing to wrestle with. Because we live in such a way where we make the decisions that are based upon our assessments and opinions. And oftentimes, we make the decisions that are, best, that are in the best interest of us, not necessarily everyone else. Now, we may not make decisions that boost ourselves up and also, while at the same time kicking other people to the side. We may just make the best decision that leaves everyone else where they are so that we can advance. And there's nothing wrong with advancement. In fact, the kingdom of God is all about advancement. The kingdom of God is all about movement. That's why the mission of grace is helping people move from where they are to where God is calling them to be. It's all about movement. But movement to where? Movement in what direction? And where are we going? The reality of any church is that we're moving in the direction of a spirit's calling. And the problem with that reality is we can't explain it because it's beyond us. It's higher than we can reach. Our understanding of what God may be doing, not just within the life of a church, but in the life of the people within the church, may be impossible for us to, to completely understand in the moment that we are in. Yet there's a choice to step and to obey, to believe that God really is calling you into something and to move into that direction, or to sit and to wait. To wait until you have more information, more time to process through it. To wait until it makes sense to open that business or to start that blog or to whatever it is that you feel like you've always wanted to do. Now's not the time. It doesn't make sense to start something now, but I feel like God wants me to. Where is your obedience? And are you waiting for everything to line up so perfectly that you are confident that this is the day that you step? Or is it possible that you've waited too long? Matthew 3, 13 through 17 is where I want to open up our text this morning. And it's an interesting place to start. I understand where we're talking about choices, but I promise there's a point to be made. Matthew 3, in its entirety, is the story of Jesus' start of his ministry, and it is catapulted by John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. 
he, uh, he comes up on the scene and he is a wild man by every, by every aspect of the word. Scripture says, calls him that. He was a wild man, lived on locusts and honey, lived in the wilderness, didn't really have a place to call his own, was just kind of a, a man who preached the kingdom of God is coming. But John was, uh, was, he is John the Baptist because he was a baptizer. He would baptize people in water. And one day, one day while he is preaching and baptizing people, Jesus shows up. Now, it has to be an interesting moment for John to be preaching about the coming Messiah and then the Messiah to come. That has to be kind of a moment of, I hope I said everything right. Right? Like, that's one of those moments. Like, this is the guy that I've been talking about. This is the guy that I've been telling people about. Now, John of the crowd apparently is the only person who truly recognizes who Jesus is. Because whenever Jesus comes, he comes and he steps into the water and asks to be baptized. But John looks to Jesus and says, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy of untying your sandals. And then this exchange happens. Verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. Why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. And, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now the reason I want to start here is because this is one of those choices made by Jesus that in my mind doesn't make sense. Baptism, even the baptism that John was preaching, was for the forgiveness of sin. Why be baptized for the forgiveness of sin if you've never sinned, it's a pointless baptism from our perspective. But Jesus' response to John, who basically is asking the question, why, are, why am I baptizing you? If anything, you should be baptizing me. Jesus' response is a response of obedience. Look, John, I know this doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense, but this is what we have been instructed to do. He says it should be done. We must carry out all that God requires. There's no real reason other than this is what we've been told to do. Jesus himself, the author and the perfecter of everything, simply looks to John and says the reason is God said so. Let me challenge you this morning with just this little piece of, of preaching. If Jesus was good with the reason because God said so, I think we should be good with that reason too. If Jesus can show up, and I mean if he wanted to, he could have just told John the Baptist, hey, uh, God says be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Since I'm sinless, obviously I don't need this baptism thing. But all you other crazy people, you best get in this water. That's how Jesus could have done it. But he doesn't. Because Jesus is all about obedience. 
And if Jesus, the Son of God, the one who had his hands involved in creation, if that Jesus will do things simply because God said so, why do we need any more reason than that? If Jesus says, hey, I will follow the instruction of God because he told me to do it, that was enough for him, then what platform do we have to argue with that? Because he said so. Because this is what God requires. I will be baptized because this is what God requires. And then something interesting happens. And I want you to, you're, we're going to go through three of these little moments. And in, every, in all three of them, I want you to pay attention to how this all works out. There was obedience in Jesus, and he is baptized by John. And then instantly something happens. The blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say that Jesus didn't have the Spirit whenever he was here for the first 30 years of his life. What the theologians believe, that the reason why every account, with this, this account, uh, the baptism of Jesus is in all four Gospels. It's one of the few things that actually makes the cut in all four Gospels. And in all four Gospels, the Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. That doesn't mean a literal dove came down from heaven and rested on Jesus' shoulder and everybody was like, oh, that's cute. No, no, no. In fact, Scripture says he saw Jesus saw, not the crowd, Jesus saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove, and it rested over him. It was in this moment, from a theological perspective, that Jesus' ministry officially begins. Here's why. The act of obedience led to a moment of blessing, and it was in the blessing that Jesus' ministry is started with this proclamation. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, if you were raised in the NIV like I was, it is, this is my son with who I am well pleased. This is my son. After the baptism, Jesus receives affirmation from his father. Too many of us, we want to be affirmed before we are ever obedient. We want God to look down at us and to say, oh, I'm just so proud of you. You came to church on Sunday morning. Good job, you. We want God to look at us and to affirm us because we happen to share a picture on, on Tuesday morning at 6.15 of our Bible open with our coffee mug as if we've been doing morning devotional for the last hour. We all know that you just sat down and saw your Bible on your side table and thought, this is a good photo op. So you went to John 3.16 this scripture just inspires me so much. Well, probably because it's the only scripture that you know. But hey, that's just beside the point. Right? This is what we do. We do these little things and we expect God to show up and congratulate us because we pretended to be all in. Because we pretended to be obedient when really all we were doing was looking for affirmation. We weren't actually looking to be obedient. We just wanted God to come over us and say, I'm so proud of you. But when John looks to Jesus and says, why are we doing this? Why do you want this baptism to happen? Jesus' response wasn't, I feel like this is going to be a really sweet Insta post. 
Right, like, let's get this on boomerang. Me going in, me going out. Me going in, me going out. Me going in, me going out. If you're over, if you're over 55, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus didn't show up in the Jordan River. He didn't show up in the Jordan River to be affirmed. He showed up to be obedient. And it was in his obedience that he found affirmation. We got to get this equation right before we can begin to receive what comes with affirmation, and that is the blessings of God. It goes obedience, affirmation, blessing. Obedience, affirmation, blessing. It does not come blessing, affirmation, and obedience. Now, I wish it did work that way, because my life would be sweet. If God would just show up and bless me, just because. But all throughout Scripture, obedience happens. God affirms in the moment that what they are doing is right. And then he blesses them for what they did. Every single time. Every single time. And so, let's walk through a couple of more. Because I think that this is an equation that we have gotten backwards for so long, it might take three attempts for me to correct some of your thinking. All right? So here we go again. Uh, remember, obedience followed by affirmation followed by blessing. Um, oh, before I get to this, this, I came across this, and I thought it was too cool not to share. So in, uh, in the NIV, in, in the NLT as well, it talks about the sky being opened up. The NLT says the sky was opened up. The NIV says the sky was torn open. That's a whole lot better translation. Only two times in the Gospel of Mark is that Greek word, uh, torn open, that's not Greek, that's English. The word for torn open is used twice in the Gospel of Mark. Once after the baptism of Jesus, the other time after the death of Jesus. After the death of Jesus, Mark tells us that the temple curtain is torn in two. The sky was torn open, the temple curtain was torn open. Both of those events both, both of the actions that led to those events should have never happened. Because the sinless man was baptized by human perspective for the forgiveness of sin, yet he had never sinned. That, that's a, that's, it doesn't make sense. Yet the heavens were torn open. An innocent man was crucified. It doesn't make sense. Innocent people don't get crucified, yet the curtain was torn open. God's ways are not our ways. It doesn't have to make sense for it to be extraordinary. It doesn't have to make sense for us to be all in. Because God showed up in these what seemed to be ridiculous moments. God showed up in these ways from a human perspective that just don't make sense. Yet, that's the reason that you and I even have the opportunity to approach the throne room of God. Was God was willing to operate outside of what makes sense. God was willing to move outside of what is deemed to be appropriate behavior because God said, they're never going to understand me, so let's just go ahead and rock their world anyway. And he creates a system that is so flawless that we still to this day struggle with how it can be. How can it be that God himself would die for me broken and, and a sinner and not worth it? How can it be that God can love me so much that he would send his son to die for me? It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't compute because we would never do that for anybody else. Yet God did. 
And it was in the actions of God operating outside of the sphere of what is normal that you and I get to experience something that we should have never gotten to experience in the first place, an unconditional love and grace and provision and purpose. Luke chapter 5, just a little, little side note for you. Luke 5, starting verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, uh, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help uh, brought their partners in the other boats. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught. And as they were with him, his partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. But Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. For now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Obedience, even, follow me here, reluctant obedience. Peter's preaching to the crowds, and the crowds can't hear him because they're so crowded in, and so he gets on this boat. And what starts off as a simple act of obedience, an insignificant act of obedience, Simon Peter pushing Jesus out off the shore and into the water, Jesus says, hey, let's, let's go out there. Peter says, okay. So they get in the boat, and he pushes them off. This insignificant moment, this moment of, yeah, sure, man, whatever, let's go. He's in the water preaching to the crowds. And then Jesus looks to him and says, hey, now that I'm done preaching, let's go do some fishing. And the reason I say that this is a reluctant moment is because of the response that Simon Peter uses. Master, we've been doing this all day. If you've ever raised kids... Don't you know this moment? Kason, will you go make your bed? Dad, I'm going to sleep in it again tonight. Right? I mean, there's always a reason. There's always a reason that the instruction just seems ridiculous. And this isn't necessarily out of the, out of the realm of reality. Because Jesus isn't a fisherman. He's a carpenter. Now, if Jesus would have given Simon Peter instructions on how to build a house, then maybe Simon Peter would be like, you got it, man. Whatever you say, I will do it because I have no clue. But Jesus is giving Simon Peter, who is a fisherman, instruction on how to fish. And Peter's going, "Um, dude, we've been at this all night. The, The time that you catch fish, it's past. Like, this is the time that we clean the nets and we nap. That's this time. Fishing time is done. But this phrase, but if you say so, we'll do it. I I wonder how 
ecstatic they were to drop the nets in the water. And here's why I don't think that they were too excited. It's because at the beginning of the story, we see that not only are they on the shores, but they're doing something on the shores. They're cleaning their nets. They just spent who knows how much time not catching fish to then have to sit on the shores with empty boats cleaning nets that didn't produce any fish in the first place. This is kind of a no good, very bad day. We didn't catch fish, and now we've wasted time cleaning nets that didn't catch us fish in the first place, and you want us to drop our just clean nets back in the waters that already didn't give us any fish. Whenever you truly think about how crazy this story is, you realize this is a crazy story. Jesus wants these guys to operate totally out of the realm of human understanding and reality. Yes! It's exactly what he wants them to do. Because that's where God thrives. He thrives outside of the realm of our understanding. He thrives in the impossible. He is the God of the impossible. Jesus will say, whatever you want, no matter how big, how small, how crazy it sounds, whatever you want, knock on God's door and he can give that to you. Even the impossible becomes possible. God is able to do anything, even more than you could ever ask or imagine. That is the God of our reality. Not the God of our dreams or imagination, but our reality. And we see it in Jesus. And Peter is going, because you say so. I don't know about, I, 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 can, just, I, can, I can hear it, right? I can, I can feel it. I don't think Peter wants to drop these nets because he's going to have to clean them again. But he does. Obedience. Affirmation. Because you say so, blessing. So much so that it fills his boat. But not only does it fill the boat of the one who was obedient, it fills the boats of those who were just watching his obedience. Don't think for a second that people aren't paying attention to you. Don't think for a moment that the choices that you make with your life aren't having an eternal effect on those who are around you. Because the choices that you make and the obedience or lack thereof does not just affect you, but it affects those who are around you. That other boat would have remained fishless had Simon Peter not obeyed. Yet, in his obedience, the blessing is so much that not only does he receive, but so does the other boat. Here's what's great about this story. It's one of my favorite parts about this story. Is here's how much the fish mattered. None. None. How do we know that? Because the second they get back on the boat, back on the shore, they leave the boats, they leave the nets, and they leave the fish. And they go and follow Jesus. Because they recognized something. That obedience, the same obedience that led them to their blessing, also led them to an understanding that Jesus is far more than just a miracle worker. And You've heard the saying, if you give a man a fish, you could feed him for a day. But if you teach a man a fit to fish, you could feed him for a lifetime. Simon Peter had this unique ability to, in that moment, recognize, God has just given me a blessing for today. But if I follow this man, he could be my blessing for a lifetime. His obedience gave him the opportunity to see what God could do in his life. He didn't get to see that. 
before that moment of obedience. God didn't show up to Peter on the night before and give him an abundance of fish. Because had he, then whenever Jesus asked Peter to push him out into the water, Peter would have been far too busy organizing his blessing and he would have missed, missed out on the Savior. So it only makes sense for Peter to spend all night fishing and not catch fish. For this whole scenario to work, Peter had to be in a place of opportunity. It might not have been one that he would have wanted to be in, but it was the one that he needed to be in. Because Jesus was going to need a boat so that he could preach his message to, the, message to the masses. And the guy who happened to be there was a guy who was in the middle of frustration. The guy who happened to be there was the guy who was in the middle of doing the mundane, the thing that he wished he didn't have to do, especially after he didn't even get a, catch any fish. And that's so many of you in this room, it's probably unbelievable. You're sitting right now in places in your life, and you've done the same thing and the same thing, and it's just monotonous. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't even get joy out of this anymore. I don't even get joy out of this anymore. And let me push this a little bit, because y'all know me. I like to live life on the edge. Y'all can email, about, email me about this later. Some of you are going to walk into the classroom tomorrow to teach, and you're not going to want to be there. But you'll go, because... That's what you signed up for. And you got what should be 22 kids, but you got 967. Because <laughs> this is Hector County, and we just got kids everywhere. And you'll show up, and I will, I will prophesy into your morning tomorrow. If you show up tomorrow, if your obedience if you're obedient to not only the, the bell that goes off at 7.45 or whatever time your school starts, but if you are obedient to the calling that was placed in your life whenever you were a 12-year-old kid and God told you you're going to grow up to be a teacher, if you're obedient to that calling, I promise you, tomorrow at some point, you will experience a blessing. I'm telling you right now, tomorrow at some point, you will experience a blessing. That blessing might be the 3 p.m. bell sending all those kids home. But tomorrow you will experience a blessing. It might be some kid, it might be some kid who, who is, is English as a second language and your last name is even us English speakers can't pronounce, but they come into your class and they try. I, whenever I was a kid, I had this one, this one coach, his, his name was Coach Kara Story, but it was spelt with like all these weird letters. You know, it wasn't like Kara Story, it was something weird. And I walked in and I had no idea what to call him, so I just said, hey, Coach K. And he looked at me, <laughs> he was a big boy, and I thought, I, I thought that was my last day on earth. <laughs> it, was right, it was right there in that moment. I'm going to die in history class. And he was like, it's Coach Kara's story. But what's crazy is I didn't even give it a shot. Right? I didn't even give him the respect to even try it. I think he might have been a little happier if I would have just butchered his name. But the fact that I just went on my own and just called him Coach K, that wasn't going to fly. Tomorrow, you might have a kid try to pronounce your ridiculous last name and just butcher it. But you know what? You go, hey, you know what? Thank you for trying. Like, I know you're a kindergartner. You don't even know how to read. You don't even know that this is a letter Z. Because we don't use this in American English. It's just there at the end. The only word that it, we, we include with Z is zebra. Anybody ever notice that? Z is for zebra. That's it. That's the only word that we ever use with Z. Like we don't get, but, but you have it in your name. And some kid's coming in who has no idea any other English word, but they're going to sit there and read your name and they're going to raise their hand, miss, butcher your name. And you're, you better go, thank you. I needed that. I needed to be recognized that I'm here this morning. I needed your affirmation. And that brought me an incredible blessing. 
Because that's the way that it goes. But if you don't show up tomorrow morning, if you don't show up to be in your classroom tomorrow morning, you miss out on all of that because you are not obedient. Step into the callings that God has put on your life. Be obedient to where he has you positioned. I know that it might be boring. I know that it might be mundane. I know that you might look, looking out and go, there is no more that this place can offer me to achieve. I'm sure Peter felt the same way. But you know what? The next night, had Jesus not shown up, I bet you he would have been back in his boat with his nets fishing. No, no, I know that he would. Because whenever Jesus dies, the very next night, he just gets back in his boat to go fishing. Because that's what he's known. It's who he is. It is boring. I'm sure it was boring. But there's one story that he would always remember. The catch of the lifetime, the blessing that came with obedience, the blessing that came with being obedient just because Jesus said so. Drop your nets. Because you say so, I will. Some of you are waiting for some sort of miracle to happen in your life that gives you the confidence and the encouragement to do what God has asked you to do. But God's not going to give you the miracle without the obedience. He's not going to reverse the method that he's been operating with for years just for you. He loves you. He loves you a lot. But he's not going to change who he is for you. Except for whenever he became a human. But that's a story for another day. John 6. After Jesus had crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, a huge crowd kept following him everywhere he went because he saw his, they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Now then Jesus, <clears throat> then Jesus climbed up a hill and sat down. I think this is whenever God's trying to tell me, like, let's wrap this up. Whenever I start getting choked up. But <clears throat> there we go. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebra celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd. Thank you. I need like a, we need, we need a little water fridge up here. Not just over there for all you people. Jesus soon saw the huge crowd of people coming towards him, and turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Now pay attention to that, right? Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. All right, so here is God. Let's do something. Let's do something big. Let's do something crazy. Let's do something outside of, of the sphere of knowledge and understanding of man. Let's do it. Philip, I'm bringing you on board. Let's do something crazy. And he goes with logic. Um, three months wages, Jesus, doesn't cover this meal. Now, I want to be mad at him. I want to be like, oh, you of little faith, right? But I'm quickly reminded of myself. Because that's my response. Oh, uh, yeah, God, that sounds awesome. I mean, that is epic. But um, I'm not rich enough. Or I'm not strong enough. Or I don't have the influence for that. If I start that, no one's going to read that. If I write a book, no one's going to read that. Like my mom will buy a copy and her friends will buy a copy just be because my mom told them to buy a copy. But then that's it. 
Like, I'm going to sell four books. I'm not, go, I'm not going to do any of this stuff. I'm not, we're not going to start a podcast because nobody's going to, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. We're not going to waste our time doing things that we know are impossible to achieve anyway. Philip's like, look, Jesus sounds like a great plan, but here's the thing. Three months wages, and we're probably still not going to get to feed all these people. That's me. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't need Philip's plans or ideas. He just needs him. And so then he turns to Andrew and Simon, and they speak up. He said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Now you think, man, they're, good. they're on it. They believe, they believe that Jesus can do something amazing. They're the ones that are like, hey, Jesus, we got a little, but I know that you can do a lot. And then you read the next line. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Oh, right? You were so close. You were almost there. Like, this story would be so cool if Peter would have showed up. Be like, Jesus, couple of fish, here's some bread. Work your magic, man. Let's make this happen. But he doesn't. He's just stating the facts. Jesus, we either need three months wages or we need a lot more food than this kid has. Is it surprising to anybody that only a little boy was the kid that brought, that was brought food on this excursion? <laughs> like if you think about who mom of the year is, it was that kid's mom, right? She packed him a lunch. Nobody else brought food but this little kid. It's great. These are, if y'all ever wonder... If y'all ever wonder, what do preachers do all day? We sit in our offices and make crazy stuff up like that in our heads. Like, that's what I think about. Why did this kid have a lunch? Where was everybody else's lunch, right? Um, anyways, another side point. So they bring this food, but what good is this for this huge crowd? And then Jesus, tell everybody to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered around 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves and the two fish. Obedience. Obedience even when it's reluctant, and obedience even when you are ill-equipped. As long as there is obedience, there can be blessing. What you have to learn about all three of these moments is it wasn't about the actions that were being done in obedience. It was simply about the act of obedience. It was the act of obedience that allowed the skies to be opened up for the Spirit to land on Jesus like a dove. It was the act of obedience, of pushing Jesus out into the boat and lowering the nets when it seemed ridiculous. It was the act of obedience when all they had were five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 plus people. It was the act of obedience that brought the blessing. It was the obedience. Not necessarily what they did, but why they did it. Because the reason that they did it wasn't because it made sense. The reason that they did it was because God said so. And we as the church are in this place of having to make a choice. We have to decide because we can't move without a decision. So we have to decide, do we wait 
for God to do something that gives us the answer, to make it abundantly clear, to make sense in our head, and then we finally step and do? Or do we just make our decision because we know what God has already said? And sometimes what God has already said isn't the thing that is popular in culture. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to lower nets in the middle of the day. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to bring a, a small boy's lunch to feed 5,000 people. It didn't make sense. The people probably thought they were crazy. But it's what God said to do, and so they did. And blessing was experienced. And here's the best part about it, is the blessing wasn't just experienced by those who were obedient. It was experienced by everybody who was with them. We don't need to be concerned about the rest of the world obeying God. We need to be concerned about us obeying God, and it will impact the rest of the world. That's the way that this works. Not looking outside of our window and saying, oh God, I just wish everything could be different. Why don't you start with yourself and wish that you could be different? When's the last time that you were truly, authentically obedient to what God had placed over your life? No questions asked, but you just jumped right in. You looked at what God was doing around you, and he said, I want to be a part of that. I know it doesn't make sense, but I want to do it. And you just jumped right in. In Matthew's account, um, if you're serving this morning, you can make your way back, because Matthew's the last one, I promise. In Matthew's account of the story we just read about the, about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, Jesus does something here that Matthew records, and I want, you to, I want you to kind of take this home with you this morning. He says, that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to their villages and buy food for themselves. So it's the disciples' idea that these people need to eat. Okay, they, they are the ones that created this idea. But Jesus said to them, <clears throat> that isn't necessary. You feed them. Um, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So Jesus said, bring them, to here, bring them here. Then he told the people to sit down in the grass, and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples. In the other one, it says that Jesus, or that Jesus distributed it. He very well could have done it with the disciples. But here's what I think is interesting, and most all theologians agree. Jesus didn't start passing out hundreds of loaves of bread. Jesus took the bread that he had and broke it and gave it to the disciples. Twelve men carried around a small amount of bread. In this moment, if you're like me, you're looking at a piece of bread that you have in your hands and the thousands of people on the hillsides, and you're thinking to yourself, there ain't no way. And you're looking at your buddy John, and you're comparing your size of bread to his size of bread, and you're going, yeah, there ain't no way. Because I don't think that the miracle started to happen until they started to pass out the bread. And as they started to pass out the bread, the bread never stopped coming. But there was this moment. It's my opinion, and I know, but there was this moment that Jesus prays over the bread, the bread that they had. It doesn't say that in the prayer the bread was multiplied. It says he prayed over the bread, that bread, the, the, the loaves of the kid, that bread. And then he gave that bread to the disciples. He broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples. The same bread. The bread hadn't changed yet until they were obedient. 
And in the act of obedience, go pass this bread out. The bread multiplied. The blessing was experienced, not just for the disciples, but for all of the people. But here's the thing, is the people wouldn't have gotten to eat if the disciples hadn't been obedient. The world will not know the love of God if his church is not obedient. Salvation will not come to the lonely if his church is not obedient. The hungry and the sick and the imprisoned will not experience grace and love and mercy if his church is not obedient. Blessing does not come without the act of obedience. It is who we are. It's what we are called to be. And we are wishing for something that will never come because we are not fulfilling our part of the equation. Obey because he says so. This morning and this week, some of you will go back to the jobs that you've done all summer long. So this Sunday is not much different than any other Sunday. But for some of us, tomorrow will look different. As we drop our kids off or we watch them get on the bus, as you show up to be in your classroom or your office to prepare for the day that is ahead. But regardless of who you are, there's a choice that has to be made. A choice that God puts on you to decide. Are you going to live this day for you or are you going to live this day for me? And sometimes, it's, a lot of times, it's not going to make sense. Because you can wake up in the morning getting ready and you could be singing your your jamming out to your Elevation Worship or Hillsong United or whoever worship music you listen to in the mornings. And it can be easy to think, yeah, this day is for God. I'm gonna, my, I am all about God. This day is for God. And then you get in your truck and you start driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. Well, God got a solid 22 minutes because now it's about me. And that person ain't beating me to the red light. That's reality. A small part of reality, but it's reality. What happens when you show up in a classroom and you have that parent, and you all know that parent, and their kid isn't seated where they think they should be seated, or they don't have their scissors that they bought, that they don't have their monogrammed notebook, because you had another kid in the class that had the initials AAP, and you gave it to them. And you're going to have those moments, and you're going to want to just turn your back on that parent and be like, all right, class of 927, let's get started. That's what you're going to want to do. But maybe a conversation is needed. And maybe you say, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. I hope that you can forgive me. I'm looking forward to having an incredible year with your kid. You are valuable. You got your kid here to school on time. Look at how cute they are. They're dressed, their bow, everything's just adorable. You are mom of the year. Now go get yourself a Starbucks and let's celebrate. Goodbye. <laughs> Hard? Absolutely. Does it make sense? No way. She's on your turf, on your grounds, on your time. But it doesn't have to make sense for you to still be obedient. What I want is for us to kick off this year 
of life groups and of food trucks and of everything else that we're going to do as a church. And not just do it because it's going to be fun and cool and exciting, but to do it because God has asked us to do something in our community. To help people move from where they are to where he's been calling them to be. And sometimes it's going to make us uncomfortable. Sometimes we're going to have to sit next to people on Sunday mornings that we don't actually know. I'm looking at all of you. Sometimes that's going to be the case. But for my place, man, it doesn't get any sweeter than this. And yeah, we're going to be stretched. And we're going to have to do things and go places that we may not always want to go. But will we? Just because he's asked us to. Let me pray over this morning. Let me pray one more time over all of those who start a new journey tomorrow. Let me pray over you as you step into the journey that you've been on for however long you've been there and ask that God would continue to speak over you, to give you confidence and direction that you could step boldly into what he's calling you into simply because he's asking you to go. Let me pray over this obedient church. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've met us here. We recognize your goodness in this place because you are good. And God, you have called us into something beyond ourselves. And God, this morning I just pray that you would encourage us and instill in us a boldness to step, to be an obedient church in your kingdom. God, even whenever it doesn't make sense, I pray that you would guide us to give us the opportunity to say yes in your obedience. God, I pray that you would respond in miraculous ways, that we would see your presence, that we would experience your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God, forgive us where we fail you and pick us up in this world that so desperately tries to pull us down. God, I pray that all that we do would glorify your name as we seek your kingdom here. God, we thank you for Jesus who gave his life for that to be our reality. It's in his name we pray. As we share communion this morning, I want you to think about the obedience that brought these trays before you. The obedience that led Jesus to the cross. Even, even for a moment, a reluctant obedience. In the garden, he prays, God, if there's another way, let's go that route. If there's another option, let's do that thing. But if there's not, I will. I will do what you've asked me to do. Obedience didn't just lead Jesus to this earth, but it led Jesus to the cross. A cross that was yours. The penalty for your sin, for your disobedience, paid by a perfect Christ. This morning, reflect on obedience that brought you to salvation. Let's have share this Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We would love for you to connect with us weekly, so please be sure to subscribe to this channel. We would also ask that if you have been encouraged by this ministry, would you consider partnering with us financially? Your support helps us continue our mission of helping people move from where they are to where God is calling them to be. You can find all the ways to give at graceodessa.com give. Thank you.